Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his sermon series, Fit to Fight, Put on the Full Armor of God. Today's message, part six, The Helmet of Salvation. Here's Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, we're in the middle of a series about what Paul called the armor of God. Let's go over that list again as we find it in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, in our study series so far, we've already looked at the first four pieces of armor. And today we come to verse 17, what Paul refers to as the helmet of salvation. We need to ask what this helmet is and why we need it and how we can get it. So three questions today. What is this helmet and and why we need it and then how we can get it. First of all, what is this helmet of salvation? Now some Christians might look at this list and say, well, of all the pieces of armor at least I have the helmet of salvation. I'm still struggling to get the belt of truth in place, and I'm still struggling with the breastplate of perfectly righteous living, and I'm still struggling to get that shield of faith up in front of me, but at least I've got the helmet of salvation in place because years ago I asked Jesus to come into my life, and now I am saved. I have the helmet of salvation. And if we think like that, it's probably because we usually think of salvation as a past tense experience. We think of it as something that took place in the past when we asked Jesus to come into our lives. And that's true, but it's not completely true. What I mean by that is it is gloriously true that when you ask Jesus to come into your life as your Savior and Lord, he saved you at that point. But the Bible continues to tell us that he is at work in our lives now, as that song Waymaker was, was telling us about. He's, he's at work in our lives now. And he is going to carry that on to its full completion at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the verses that John quoted just a moment ago lets us know that salvation is past and it is present and it is future all in one verse. Take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Circle the word began. He began a good work in you. When you opened up your heart to the work of uh, Jesus on the cross, when you trusted him to be your Savior and Lord, he started a process in you. He began that work. But now circle the phrase, carry it on. He who began a good work in you will carry it on. He hasn't abandoned you or left you on your own. He's at work in your life now. Even if you can't always sense it, even if you can't always feel it, this is the work of salvation in the present. 
And then circle that word completion. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until when? Until completion, until the day Jesus comes to complete that process. So that's speaking about salvation future. Salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. You need to be confident that what God starts in you, he finishes. He doesn't get frustrated and walk away. He doesn't get tired and walk away. What God began in you, he completes. That's what we wear upon ourselves like a soldier wears a helmet. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, the hope of salvation should be our helmet. Does that sound familiar? He said it not once but twice in the Bible, in Ephesians and in 1 Thessalonians. He speaks of salvation as a helmet. In this instance, though, he speaks of the hope of salvation. You use the word hope not to speak of something in the past but something in the future. We believe that God, what God got started in us, God will finish in us. That is the hope of salvation, and it should be our helmet. So that's what the helmet of salvation is. It's not just something you did in the past. It's something you look around and expect God to do now, and you look around and expect God to complete it in the future. That's what the hope of, of salvation is. Why do you need it? That's the second question we should ask. If that's what it is, why do you need it? Now, every year, on average, there are 4,000 motorcycle riders that are killed in traffic accidents. And statisticians tell us that 25% of those would be alive today had they simply been wearing a helmet. The Bible tells us that you and I as believers, as Christian soldiers, need to make sure that we're not walking through this life without a helmet. We need to wear the helmet of salvation. Now, why? What does it protect us from? Three things, and you can write this down in your sermon notes. If you haven't found the sermon notes yet, it's in your online bulletin, hillcrest.church bulletin. Uh, it's even formatted in such a way that you can type in the answers to these statements. So here's the first one. It protects us from discouragement when hardship comes. It protects us from discouragement when hardship comes. Life is often hard. And if you haven't uh, believe that up to this point. It's just simply because you haven't lived long enough. You don't always get what you pray for. Uh, you don't always get the test results that you hoped for. You don't always get into the school of your choice. That physical pain doesn't always go away. Those persons who have made assurances and promises to you, they don't always keep their word. And when that hardship comes into our lives, so often what happens is discouragement quickly follows. We become bitter against God. We want to quit and give up. We take it out on other people. We need something that will protect us from discouragement when hardship comes. And believing that God is going to bring to completion all his promises for us in his creation, that's, a, that's what will protect you from discouragement when hardship comes. That's what Romans chapter 8 is all about, that great pinnacle of the New Testament, that center point in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 tells us this in verses 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
Johnny Erickson Tata, that uh, remarkable quadriplegic of so many years, so many writings. Uh, she has, um, not surprisingly, a ministry for people who are physically and, and, and mentally disabled, as she is physically disabled. And she has a ministry for parents and caregivers of children who are physically or mentally disabled. She has a retreat for them on a regular basis, or had so in the past. And uh, she wrote in one of her books, a book about heaven, she, she wrote about how at the end of one of these retreats, uh, they always pass around microphones to let people sort of tell stories or report about what the retreat meant to them in the past week. And it always brings laughter and tears as people recount certain things that impacted them about this retreat. Uh, well, the microphone got to one little Down syndrome boy at uh, one point at the close of one of these weekly retreats. And, and uh, he'd had a great time at the camp with his mom, but his dad wasn't able to come to the camp and he missed his dad. And so he lowered his face all the way across this microphone and, and his voice boomed and reverberated out throughout the room where he simply said to everybody in the crowd, let's go home. Now, you need to understand that we're not home yet as a, as a people. We're not home yet. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in John chapter 14 um, that Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a home for you. And when I have it all ready, I'm going to come for you and bring you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a real home for us. Now, this life can be filled with all kinds of richness and blessing and beauty and wonder. And sometimes we take that for granted. But this life can also be filled with hardship and pain. And it can leave us discouraged unless we remember we're not home yet but we're heading home. And one day we'll be at that place where daddy fixes everything right. As we believe that, we walk through life wearing a helmet, which protects us from discouragement when hardship comes. Here's the second thing to write down. It protects us from frustration when opposition comes. Let's face it, Christian convictions can sometimes leave you feeling like an alien and a stranger in your own nation, in your own community. It can happen from time to time. It can happen where your Christian convictions might cause a supervisor to overlook you for a promotion. Your Christian convictions may cause somebody to not include you in their social circles. Your Christian convictions may cause somebody to not consider you as a romantic partner. In some parts of the world, your Christian convictions can result in lost income or imprisonment or even death. Even within our own American culture, even in this day and age, Christian convictions have caused some people to lose their jobs, caused some people to be voted off of a board of directors, caused some people to not get into the graduate school of their choice. Now, what do you do when opposition comes? That can make some of us bitter and want to withdraw from a world that we are supposed to impact and influence with the gospel. Or it can cause other th others of us to grow soft and lose a spine, and we compromise with the world so that we might go along and get along and be able to gain the things that we want. But the Bible tells us that thinking about what is in store for us, what God has promised for us and what he will deliver, enables us to o overcome and bear up under opposition. Much of the New Testament was written to help Christians deal with this. 
uh, right before uh, spring break and right before COVID-19 made so many changes in our culture. You remember, we were going through the book of Revelation for about six months, and the book of Revelation was all about this. But it wasn't just the book of Revelation. All through the New Testament, we hear these calls to stand our ground and be the kind of people we're supposed to be because of what God has in store for us in the future. So, for example, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Simon Peter says that the coming revelation of the glory of Jesus in our world and our lives makes everything that we go through on this earth ultimately worth it. So we wear that like a helmet. That promised salvation that is coming is a helmet that protects us from frustration in the midst of opposition. Here's a third thing that a helmet of salvation does. It protects us from, fa- from, from despair when failure comes. It protects us from despair when failure comes. There will be times that you personally fail to do everything God wants you to be, or, or everything God wants you to do. There are going to be times when you say, what God expects of me is just too much. I can't keep up with it. Listen, if, if you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, all those instructions against greed and against uh, lust and these calls to forgive radically, if you read through the list of the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, which calls us to show evidence, have evidence that God is at work in our lives by how patient we are and how self-controlled we are and how good we are. If you look at the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, if you look at what the Bible tells husbands and wives to be to each other, in Ephesians and Colossians, and what parents and children are to do in relationship to each other in Ephesians, Colossians. If you look at all of that and you never feel a moment of frustration and despair over your own failings, you're just not reading any of those passages carefully enough. The reality is that there are going to be frequent moments in our lives where our own personal failures make us fall into self-loathing and despair, or it could, if we weren't wearing the helmet, of salvation. We have to remember that we are living the Christian standards in the context of God's love. We're not living the Christian standards so that we might gain God's love. Now, there's a big difference between those two statements. If you're living in hopes of finally earning and deserving God's love, guess what? You're always going to be uncertain about where things stand between you and God. Like I said, if you read through 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love, if you read through uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, if you read through the, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're going to come to those moments where you go, I can't keep up. I can't be the kind of person God wants me to be. But we have to understand that we do not run to win the prize of his love. We run in his love to win the prize. And that makes all the difference to be able to understand it in that way. Listen to this beautiful promise from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. God 
has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in his mighty power will protect you until you receive this, what's the word? Salvation, because you are trusting in him. What a remarkable statement. Simon Peter piles up word upon word and phrase upon phrase to remind us that we are secure in the promised salvation of God. He calls it an inheritance that God himself promises to us. And if that were not enough, he says that that inheritance is in the most secure vault of all, the vault of heaven itself. And then he piles up word upon word to let us know how secure this inheritance is. He says it is pure, it is undefiled, it is beyond the reach of change and decay. When you read those phrases in the original Greek of the New Testament, it goes boom, 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 like somebody beating upon a big bass drum. Aftharton, amianton, amaranton, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, boom, boom, boom. And if that were not enough, it says that God keeps all of this secure by nothing less than his own power. And if that were not enough, this passage says he keeps it secure for how long? Until everything is finally and fully complete. What a remarkable verse. And yet the Bible tells us even more than that. The Bible tells us not only that God will keep us safe, but he delights to keep us safe. How many of you, when you, you do a chore or a project that you enjoy, the hours just roll by? You, 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 you're even actually kind of surprised that it's time for lunch or time to quit at the end of the day. On the other hand, if you don't enjoy something, even if it takes a few minutes, you're just so glad to be done with it. What's God's attitude when it comes to the work of taking our messy, naughty, complicated lives and bringing us ultimately to the point where all that he has promised for us, he finally gives to us? What's God's attitude toward that? Nothing short of joy. That's what we read in the little book of Jude. That's just a one-chapter letter in the New Testament. And verse 24 of the book of Jude says this, God is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. If you ever read that passage before and you assume that it was your joy that he was talking about there, no, it was God's joy that he was talking about. God delights to finish what he starts. God delights to fulfill his promises in your life. When he takes you on as a project, he enjoys bringing you to completion. And that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. You need to fall back into that truth of that text, and you need to rest there. Your salvation is based on God's unchanging decision to save you. So, knowing that God will keep you and preserve you until he brings you safely into all he's promised for you, that can be protection like a helmet. It protects us from discouragement when hardship comes. It protects us from frustration when opposition comes. And it protects us from despair when our own miserable human failings inevitably come. You need the hope of complete salvation like a helmet. Now, how do we get it? That's the third question I want us to ask. Remember I said that we had three questions today. What is this hope of salvation and why do we need this hope of salvation? And now how do we get it? Two things you need, routine 
and reflection. First of all, you need routine. What I mean by routine is you need to develop rhythms for doing certain things that you know will put truth in front of you. Daily prayer and Bible reading is a routine that will put truth in front of you. Getting together every week on campus or these days online and singing these songs of the faith will put truth in front of you. Getting together with your life group, and these days on a Zoom call, but still you're getting together with your life group. When you do that and people are praying for you and people are gently holding you accountable, you're in a place where you can be in front of truth. And we need to have these things as a settled routine in our lives. I call it a routine because those things in your life that are regarded as routines are not things that you have to think about too much. You know, at night, when you're getting ready for bed, you brush your teeth. It's a routine. You don't ask yourself each night, do I want to brush my teeth tonight? Am I inspired enough to brush my teeth tonight? You don't go through the intellectual exercise of reminding yourself that if you brush your teeth, you're less likely to get cavities. You just do it because it's a routine. You don't even have to think about it. We need to make sure that we are routinely reading the Bible and praying, routinely getting together with other believers, even if it's remotely. We need to routinely get together and sing the songs of the faith, even if it's remotely. We need to do this as a routine because it puts us in a place where truth can get to us. And when truth gets to us, we are more assured of our salvation. We're wearing it like a helmet. But not only do we need to make sure involve ourselves in routine, the second thing you need to do goes deeper than routine. It depends on routine, but it goes deeper, and that is reflection, routine and reflection. So you need to be in a place where the songs are sung and the scriptures are read and the prayers are lifted up, but you also need to reflect on those things until those truths go deep down into your own soul. So, for as an, as an example, uh, if you are in a habit of regular Bible reading, if that's your routine, then eventually you're going to get in front of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, that great pinnacle of the New Testament, that great statement about how sure the promises of God are, how sure the continued activity of God is in our life, you're going to get in front of the truth of Romans chapter 8, just as a matter of routinely reading the Bible. But as you reflect on Romans chapter 8, that's when the truth of the assurance of our salvation goes deep into your soul. Or, for example, when you sing the songs of the faith with other believers, you are, just as a matter of routine, going to be put in front of songs about assurance. That song Waymaker that we sang just a moment ago. Or songs like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Or I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have given to him until that day, or, or, or songs of assurance, songs of, of, of the promise of God keeping me and holding me fast. Just as a matter of routine, getting together on a regular basis, you're going to get in front of these songs. But as you reflect on the truths of these songs, the assurance of salvation gets down into your soul, and you wear the helmet of salvation that will protect you from all these things. If we neglect routine and if we neglect reflection, we're going to find ourselves walking around without a helmet. Don't do that. A couple of decades ago, uh, a California legislator introduced a bill 
to mandate all motorcycle riders had to wear helmets. And that was a couple of decades ago. And, and the actor Gary Busey was one of several pretty prominent people who protested that this was going to restrict their freedom. Now, I know it's hard to believe that there was a time in the past when the government would suggest that you wear something and people would say it restricts their freedom, but isn't it a good thing we're, we're past that now? Yes, I've gone to meddling at this point, haven't I? But at this particular point, the legislature said, wear a helmet. Gary Busey refused to do so. And just a couple of months after one of his protests where he famously said this, he felt the full effect of not wearing a helmet. He got his Harley-Davidson soft tail out of the dealership where he had just bought it, and uh, he got it up to 50 miles an hour in front of the dealership. He hit a patch of gravel, lost control, went sailing over the handlebars of this motorcycle and landed with his head on the curb, smashing open his head. Uh, the dealer who had sold him the bike saw all of this happen. He ran out to Busey on the side of the of the road. He pulled off Busey's leather gloves and pressed them down to keep blood from gushing out of the hole the size of a silver dollar in Gary Busey's head. Now, remarkably, Busey lived. In these last couple of decades, he's been an advocate for people wearing helmets when they ride motorcycles. You can imagine that's the case. Some of you in God's army have not been wearing the helmet of salvation. You are not living in the assurance that God finishes what he starts. You are unprotected. Let's recommit today to wear this helmet of salvation, knowing that what God started in our lives in the past, he's at work on now, and he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time for Fit to Fight, Part 7 as Dr. Goodman delivers a message entitled, The Secret of the God Sword. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest to Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.